it was difficult during the takeaway period because you, you put everything into that food and you see it being delivered away in a bag and you kind of miss that little bit of a connection of, of them enjoying it. Um, you know, around a table. This week on Dirty Linen, we are talking about the future, but the present really sets the future up. And we've had some good news in Victoria this week, especially for regional Victoria. But I have to say that even here in Melbourne, I do feel buoyed by the news that restaurants in regional Victoria are able to open in limited capacity this week. Sonia Anthony runs Masons of Bendigo, um, a really lovely restaurant. It's a destination restaurant. People come there from the city. Indeed, I've done so myself, but it's also very well supported by Bendigo locals who seem to love their food. Sonia is a big part of the Central Victorian food community. Uh, she knows everything that's going on and everything that's good to eat and an amazing supporter of local producers. Sonia, I'm really happy to be chatting to you. Thanks for coming on to Dirty Linen. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Tell me how you're feeling today. Oh, amazing. It's, um, it's, it's, there's just so much positive energy and, you know, it's, it's incredible how quickly things turn around and, and once your head stops spinning with all of the new information, it's, it's just all, um, full steam ahead and we're super excited at Team Masons, absolutely. That's so good. So tell me, uh, bring us up to date with what you are allowed to do as of um, Thursday. So for uh, regional Victorians, uh, we are actually allowed to um, accommodate some dine-in. So depending on what your restaurant spacing is, uh, we can have up to 10 people in one space. We're fortunate we've got downstairs and upstairs so we can have up to 20 people which you know sounds ridiculously low but when you've had nobody for such a long time um, it's so exciting to be able to offer that. Um, for those venues that have outdoor dining they're able to have up to 50 people depending on what their size spacing is like um, and we're fortunate here in Bendigo that our city is has been really proactive in engaging with the hospitality community in helping support those venues that do want to increase their seating capacity outside. Um, I guess we're super lucky that we have um, some fantastic weather here in Bendigo. So it's, it's a really great opportunity for people to be able to support their hospitality venues, but also enjoy some much needed sunshine. <laughs> so you're going to have some outdoor dining? Not at the moment. Um, the space right out the front of ours isn't that comfortable for outdoor dining. We actually converted our um, outdoor space into a wicking bed. We, we felt that the concrete needed a little bit of greenery um, to soften it up a little bit. Um, and I guess that's, that's the challenge with being in the CBD. So, you know, we're, we're grateful for, for what we can do um, in-house at the moment and we'll work with that. I mean, it's such, as you say, you know, the information is, uh, is there's a lot to digest and it's been like that for six months. There's been so much, um, yeah, so many cascading announcements and you've had to, uh, you know, look over that shoulder, look over this shoulder, you know, do a 360 and then, you know, stand on your hands for a while. Like it's been a lot to take in. Until um, the announcement this week, it, it, there, it seemed as though 
indoor dining was not going to be part of the picture. Uh, how talk, talk talk us through your headspace, like how you were thinking about things and and how you've processed the new information. Yeah. Um, well, I guess we've become a lot better at um, opening up opportunities and and looking at different scenarios, and we're you know, as you mentioned um, in the opening, we've got uh, amazing support from our community and we actually had quite a few people approach us with um, outdoor dining options, which was just overwhelming really for us. Um, so there were conversations that we had with a number of places um, quite loosely because we do know that details and, and requirements and restrictions change um, at a moment's notice. So it was really just connecting with people and having the conversation and and just sort of milling things around in our minds in how things could look and how things could work and, and just really keeping um, the idea of it being fun at the forefront. And that, that was really part of what our Masons at Home option and our pop-up bakery were over the last few weeks that, you know, it, it, it can all become quite overwhelming and, um, you know, bring people down. And we just wanted to make sure that we looked at it through a really positive lens. And it's like, well, how can we make the best out of this situation and, and connect with our, our customers and all those lovely people that have been missing us? Um, to keep us going, um, you know, through through some positive mental health messages. And I think, you know, if nothing else, you really see how your community responds and, and reacts when you've got something so extreme happening around you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really heartening and impressive to hear you say that fun is the thing that you're trying to put at the forefront because the pandemic isn't really essentially fun when you get down to it but it is I guess customers your diners are still looking to restaurants to create those hospitality experiences so it's interesting that you're um yeah that you still feel like you want to deliver a mood not just the food absolutely and that's part of of what our ethos has been at Mason's um from the get-go and and that connection to people and that connection to our community and, you know, that underlying thing of what hospitality is, you know, it's making people feel happy, it's making people feel good and if that's through food or connecting or experiences, um, you know, that that's really what makes us feel whole and, you know, it was difficult during the takeaway period because, you know, you, you put everything into that food and you see it being delivered away in a bag and you kind of miss that little bit of a connection of, of them enjoying it, um, you know, around a table. And and I guess social media really hope, helped with that. You know, people were sending through photos and things like that. But, you know, that, that interperson connection um, was really missed and we're really looking forward to that again. Yeah, well, tell me um, when you were able to reopen mid-year for a period, uh, tell me about that feeling of uh, welcoming diners back into the restaurant. Yeah, so um, I guess each sort of stage has, has had its own challenges. Um, you know, initially when we were first um, 
forced to close. We, we didn't open, so we were closed for, for quite a period of time. And, and people were just really grateful that we were able to reopen and um, just just sharing their, their feelings of gratitude was um, overwhelming. But also, you know, having all of those extra layers of, of what we needed to do to make sure that our staff and, and everyone was kept safe um, was not challenging, but I guess it's just another thing that you have to put into your processes and, and what happens on a daily basis. And and each time there's a reopening, there's a whole other layer of that that goes on top of it. And you sort of look back and think, wow, we thought that was such a big deal back then, but look at where we are now and the challenges that we face. And you kind of think, well, you know, <laughs> how much how much longer, you know, you, you're climbing this steep precipice of, you know, challenges, we've, we've got to get to the top eventually. And I think, you know, with, with all challenges in life, you know, you kind of get to a point where you think, I just can't do this anymore, but you keep going. And then all of a sudden, it all just falls into place. And I'm just really hoping that that sort of plays out for hospitality um, in, in this regard, that we all kind of get out of this with so many lessons and, and so many positives that what will be on the other side will be truly amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you talk about lessons, I guess, you know, you're also, you've, you're talking, what you're talking about is re- there's resilience that you're, you're expressing, like the importance of just keeping going. What are some of the other lessons that you think you'll be able to take forward? Um, I think, oh, um, so many. <laughs> um, I think, I think, um, you know, hospitality is all about giving, but also learning that lesson of receiving. And that's been a really, really um, big, big learning for us um, over the last few months that, you know, that's okay um, and embrace that and really appreciate that. So that's been a really, really big one. And, and I think just reassessing where you are and and what it is that's around you and I guess that's more in terms of um, where I sit with my hat with uh, with the farmers market and that process of of you know seeing our producers in great distress because um, you know overnight their income had, had reduced to nothing and they'd spent years and months growing all this amazing produce and it had nowhere to go and how farmers markets really turn that around for people and that connection that overlaying connection of rather than the restaurant being the conduit between the grower and the eater it became that direct connection and you know that that's a really big lesson I think everybody's learning this time around. Yeah, I think people have definitely had cause to think about where their food comes from more than perhaps they have in the past. And yeah, I think it hopefully helps people value the local producers that are around them and to think about the way that food gets to them, whether it is by a restaurant or through a market or through a shop um, or th- or indeed directly. Do you want to just explain your role at the farmers market for people? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm the president of the Bendigo Community Farmers Market, and um, I also do the the marketing and socials. So during the first lockdown period, um, we faced um, 
shut down, closure. The, the city weren't, weren't comfortable with us operating in a public space. They felt that there may have been, um, you know, too many people within one area, which is completely understandable. But our market manager and I had less than 24 hours to, to turn a market around. And, um, you know, just as many others have in this period, we did what we could and, and we popped up in a few places. And so our mini pop-up market started with three stall holders and now we um, operate a weekly market at the Good Loaf every Thursday and it's become increasingly popular and our community are just so grateful for that weekly access. And I just don't think that would have happened um, so quickly uh, without a pandemic. So there's another positive in there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, tell us about the process of, of reopening a restaurant. It's, you know, we, we hear from restaurateurs a lot that, you know, it, it's, they need notice to be able to open. It's not just a matter of turning on the lights and opening the doors. What do you actually have to do? Um, yeah, and we keep requesting notice, <laughs> but um, hopefully by the end of it, the government will get a little bit better on that front um, because there is quite a lot to do. And I guess for us, we've got, you know, some amazing people around us who have some incredible skills. So everybody kind of gets on with what they need to do and, and we can see that things um, turn around quite quickly. So, um, you know, with our front of house team and our kitchen team, um, we, we can, we've found now that, um, you know, we can do things a lot, a lot more, not streamlined, but I guess we just kind of get on with it. You know, it's 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 not a matter of um, doing too much planning. We've got menus in place. Um, the beauty of working directly with producers is, you know, it's just a phone call away, and and we can work out what's available and what's not available. And it's the same with our beverages. We we work directly with winemakers and 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 um, beer and cider makers and. So you can get on the phone quite quickly and, and get things turned around. So we're pretty lucky in that sense. Mm. One thing that I've been wondering about is is staff getting back up to speed with the rhythms of restaurants and that it is, as far there's, of course there's the, the processes and the procedures and the, the taking customer details and the wiping tables and all the COVID safe things. But I think, don't you think it's going to be quite, it's going to be quite a challenge for um, for staff and for and for the people that manage them to just get people back into the mode of, of working in busy restaurants. Yeah, I think that's why it was really important for us to, to stay open this time and um, while we developed those the Masons at Home and, and Bakery just to keep our team um working in the space, connecting with each other and, and just kind of creating a little bit of normality within our little restaurant bubble, I guess you could call it, because we just found that first time round we were closed, it was really getting to a point where all of us were finding it hard to get motivated and just switch into the right mode and it did take a little while when we first reopened to get to get our groove back. So, you know, I can really see a big difference this time around in terms of our energies and, and um, you know, just being in that, in that zone. And for us, it was just super important to keep our staff on JobKeeper and keep the team together 
and just really work through it as a team. And I think that's been a real, really good thing for, for everybody. Mm. I wonder if diners are going to be rusty as well, like if people will have forgotten how to be in restaurants. And I know, you know, there's going to be new things for diners as well. You know, there's there'll be masks. There are um, time limits on how long you can be in a restaurant. Uh, people can't stand up to order. There's all those kinds of, I guess, um, you know, rules-based things that people have to get used to. But I think also, you know, uh, do we do we, are we going to have to relearn how to dine out? I guess if there's ever a time you could get away with it, it's when there's only 10 people in a really large restaurant. <laughs> so you're pretty guaranteed that no one will be watching. Um, but you're right, it, it, it is it is all a relearning for everybody and we're just trying to make sure that we communicate as much as we can to our diners before they come in and we found that um, a really valuable thing to do the first time round. So, you know, we don't want confrontation. We don't want frustrated people. We just want people to come in and, and have a really good time. So, yeah, hopefully hopefully there won't be um, too many too many people not knowing what to do and, you know, if, if not, I'm sure that they'll figure it out pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I was chatting to a restaurateur in New York earlier in the week and he's they're only able to do outdoor dining there so he's set up his backyard as as a dining space and he said that customers not all of them but as you know a few customers were complaining a lot about the mosquitoes and he was just almost at his wits end it's like you know there are things that can be controlled and there are things that can't be controlled and um I think I, I I think as diners, we're going to be so excited to be back in restaurants. I really hope that that um, translates to, to gratitude and understanding um, about, you know, the the things that um, that staff are able to manage and the things that they're not. It's I guess I really feel like we've got to all be working together to get restaurants back on their feet, um, busy and, uh, you know, uh, uh, something that we all treasure as um, as Victorians. I agree. And I think those small things will just become so insignificant. And of course, you know, there are always people who will have an issue with something. And, you know, it's like anything, you just really want to focus on the 99% of people who are having an amazing experience and love what you do and don't mind a mozzie or two um, rather than that 1%, you know, where you just can't control certain things. And it's the same with the, you know, the restrictions and, and the requirements, you know, we're required to check everybody's ID when they first come in. And it's like, well, that's not, you know, our doing. Um, you know, this is what we're required to do and we just hope that you'll respect that. And and then everyone can just get on with having a really good time and that's all we really want at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you spoke about the producers and how hard it's been for them and, and some of the uh, work you've been able to do to keep their businesses going. How do you think they're going? Like how do you think some of these great small producers are going to come out the other side of this? Oh, look, I've never met a more resilient bunch of people and I've never met a more positive group of people who just – uh, work under the most extreme circumstances, whether that be, you know, a 10-year drought, um, flooding, um, what, what other 
natural phenomenon can you think of? Frost, um, bushfires, you name it, and then throw in a pandemic. And they're still getting on with it and, you know, they're still changing their business models to, to, to suit the environment and customer demand. And, you know, I've, I've just got, I'm just, people need to learn from these people because, you know, the way their resilience and the way they get on with it is just incredible. And you look at all the farm gate shops that are now popping up and, you know, <clears throat> for example, you've got Belinda and Jason at McIver Farm in Tilbrack and they've got a, they've got a butchery that they've set up and there was a space there and <clears throat> Plantsfield Farmers Market was cancelled at a moment's notice. And next thing you know, you know, they've done a pop-up little market to support not only themselves but other meat producers that were going to that market. So, you know, you've got all of this awesomeness. Incredible. It's just amazing because you kind of think, you know, how many knocks can they deal with and they just keep getting on with it. And I think that's another message that we need to get through to people that, you know, producing food for the community is bloody hard work and it needs to be valued and we need to value the cost and we need to value the price of what we pay for good food and support these people because they're our future and that's the food we're putting on our plates three times a day. So, you know, if, if nothing else, it's the producers we need to support because without food, there's not much happening at restaurants. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, price has been a, a big conversation through the pandemic and when people think about reopening, you know, that perhaps it is an opportunity to reset and to price food fairly. Of course, at the same time, we have a lot of people in our community who have less disposable income than they had previously. How do you think that we can balance those two things when we have, um, you know, uh, difficulty throughout our society, throughout our community, but of course we need to value the people who are producing our food? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I guess, um, I guess for me, when when that sort of conversation always comes up, I, I always ask the question of why not why farmers markets are so expensive, but why other food outlets are so cheap, and how we got to that, and who who is it along the line that's missing out? Because if you look at the true value of food and what it costs. Why Why are there these really cheap alternatives? It doesn't make any sense to me. And so I think that conversation is a really important one. But I think also the other th- element to a food community is looking at food relief. And at the moment, we're organising um, to build Benigo's Food Hub. And that will support not only the farmer's market, but also Benigo Food Share, which is our Central Victorian Food Relief Agency. And we're just seeing such a massive demand um, for food relief at the moment. And it's it's a conversation of, well, how do we turn this around to help people within our community to be able to support themselves and feed themselves? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's I think, nothing you can solve overnight. This is really something that is a continual challenge and something we all really need to keep working toward helping people be a lot more self-sustainable. 
Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it's got to do with um, our uh, our preponderance to sink into short-term thinking. And I think it's that way. It's when you talk about cheap food, I think what often you're really saying is that the, co- the can is just kicked further down the road and the cost is elsewhere. So the, the cost might be in animal welfare or the cost is in soil degradation, the, the cost is in climate change. So I think it's, it's, it's part of, I think what we need to do is, is have a really massive shift in mindset um, and start to think about cost as not simply the money that comes out of our pocket in the moment, but the cost that is transferred down to, you know, to whether it's to the producer or to the environment or wherever it is, and it would definitely be easier to have those conversations and talk about the the distribution of those various costs along a, a timeline and a continuum if there was better leadership at a federal level in terms of climate change. So that's not really a question. That's just a little little jump on a soapbox for a minute. But do you have any comment on that? No, I completely agree. And I think, you know, the city did a survey um, last year, a study, I should say, sorry, and um, it was found that for every $100 that you spend locally um, directly at an independent shop or whether it was at a producer's at a farmer's market, 75 of those dollars stays within your community. So creating localised food systems and building community gardens and all of those things that happen on a a local level are are ways in which we can actually help build resilience. And, you know, for me, um, I'm a really impatient person. So, you know, when you're talking federal government and change, you know, I, I, I just see that as being a slow glacial movement <laughs> into the future where I, you know, I want things done yesterday. So I guess that's why I get so um, connected in with what's happening locally because I feel like I can make more of a positive change on the ground level um, and helping my community. So, you know, and Maybe that's a little bit you know selfish um on my behalf because you know that makes me feel really really good but I guess you know I'm, I'm quite happy to keep the politics for somebody else to to have the conversation well I think selfish is definitely not a word that is able to be applied to anything that you're doing Sonia it's definitely um yeah a layered good for the community and it's I suppose it's that radiating thing and I mean farmers understand that so well that you know you look after the soil and and the little things and um you create uh you know you provide the opportunity for other things to grow and thrive so I would certainly say that um that's what you're doing um so you're opening your restaurant this week are you we're opening next Wednesday night so we're, we're amazing. Yeah, we're, we're, we probably, well, no, we couldn't have. What am I saying? <laughs> we, um, we've, we've sold out our Masons at home this week. So we're really focusing on, on getting that together as one last hurrah for people at home. And, and there are quite a few people who still can't go out and about anyway. So that's a really nice thing for them to be able to experience. And of course, our last pop up bakery on Saturday. And um, and then it's all all steam ahead with within in house dining um, prep starts Tuesday, 
and yeah, we reopen Wednesday night, and and you kind of think, well, it's that's a massive undertaking, but we we need to constantly be reminding ourselves that we can only have ten people in a space at one time. So, you know, you you really have to pull yourself back from the early days of you know doing over a hundred covers a night. It's you know it, your levels have dropped dramatically. Yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing, but I'm sure you're going to put as much energy and heart into it if it was, you know, every seat taken and you were turning tables a couple of times a night. It'll be, would you think it'll be the same um, excitement uh, and the same emotion? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's the opportunity to be able to further, you know, enhance our experience of, of what we provide in terms of, not just the food but the service and, you know, looking at our beverage menu and, and being able to, you know, have that extra time to be more creative with things and, and look at things and, and see how we can do things a little bit different and a little bit better and, and continually try and surprise people when they come in. And, you know, these are the opportunities that we have now, whereas before, you know, you're kind of, on this treadmill of like, yeah, let's keep this going, this momentum's great, but, you know, there's not that much of a window of opportunity for, for, for that exploration. So we've got that now. And I guess you just have to take, you know, take those opportunities while you can. Wow, Sonia, you know, I'm actually really jealous of the people that get to come and dine with you next week because they're going to just have such a good time. They're going to have everything thrown at them and um, they are so lucky. Um, so, yeah, um, it will not be long. I trust that Melbourne is able to follow in regional Victoria's footsteps. So you are the beacon out in front of us, Sonia. Um, so enjoy reopening. I wish you all the very best with it. And, yeah, I just cannot wait to hear how happy you make your diners. Thank you so much for having a chat today. Thanks so much for having me. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production.